Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 33 of the Black Swan Podcast. Thanks for tuning in again. I took a little family time over the recent Easter weekend and wasn't able to get together a brand new podcast, so I thought it would be fun to resurrect a few prior podcast conversations and make a little best of episode. What we're going to dig into is some specific thoughts and comments about improvisation in the percussion world from several BSP artists, including Gloria Yehalevsky, Anthony DiBartolo, Andrew Baldwin, and Tony DeSanza. Each are active in overlapping and contrasting areas of performance. So it's interesting to hear about their individual processes and projects connected to improvisation from past episodes. I'll start with Gloria to get the conversation rolling. In this excerpt, she had just finished telling me about Sounding Eye Collective, which is her collaboration with visual artists and musicians and their latest project called Dreamer Fly and Other Stories. Uh, This is a 45-minute online and offline performance combining multi-screen animation plus contemporary and jazz music. Where do you want to start? Do you want to start from the beginning or just the concept of why it's important? Um, I guess the the beginning, like how did did you first get interested in in exploring uh, improvisation and... Um, yeah. And then kind of building, a, 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 I don't know if it's a philosophy or a concept. Yeah. Um, so I always played jazz in middle school, high school. I was in the jazz bands on vibes and piano, kind mm-hmm. of back and forth between the two. I couldn't really decide on one. Uh, and so I always had this, I, I just liked groove. and But that wasn't, you know, super, there wasn't a ton of improv. It was just that has the origin in it. Um, and I continue that in undergrad. I was taking some lessons, but the the kind of um, catalyst was I went to Sweden in t- this winter of 2014, 2015. Right. Um, and that was where I started with Anders Ostrand and Daniel Berg. Right. And those got Anders is the freest musician ever. And, you know, my first lesson with him, I played that marimba piece Ultimatum. Okay. And then he was like, Okay, now get on the floor and play the entire thing with your mallets on the floor. Like, play the rhythm. And then the next thing was like, okay, let's do something else. And then he would just start like comping and he'd be like, okay, we're in C, like go for it. Yeah. Like, just play. And I hadn't really, yeah, I hadn't done something that open before, but right. it was amazing. I mean, that was, you know, the most eye-opening lesson. And then Daniel Berg, he comes at improvisation. He was the one who actually this concept of guided improvisation came from. Like, Andres was the one who really inspired the energy tour, and sure. Daniel Berg, he's more of a classical guy, and he's written some solos, marimba solos, and I think on various instruments, but he's mostly a marimba player, that help classical musicians to improvise. So one piece was Fantasia and Toccata, and the first movement of that is you have all these boxes, and you can just move through them freely so it's like you're playing the written material but you have a choice of what order you play it in yeah um and he told me you know he wrote this to help classical musicians improvise and i was like you know there's got to be more like this and so that started a couple years of research of just finding these pieces and i keep coming across more and i'm a little bit i should be diligent about updating it but i'm a little like (laughs) i don't know it feels like it's in the past um so that was that inspired me a lot because i I valued improvisation because I saw how it made me feel and I saw how it made other people feel. Sure. And I was like, how do we, but 
classical musicians are scared to do it. They're uncomfortable with it. I, I think <laughs> yeah. it's it's almost essential because if you're going to be a musician, you got to be able to just play. You can't be like, I can't play right now because I don't have my music. Yeah. Like, because that's not. I mean, of course, you're a musician. You're like your voice is valid, and like I, you know, I'm sure that when you play with your music, it's great. But you also have to have the freedom to. Yes, a lot of people memorize, but you have to have the freedom to know your instrument and play that. And even if you don't do it in public, you know, right. even if you just do it for yourself, like there's something inherently valuable with connecting with your instrument in that way and exploring it and getting to know it as, you know, person and instrument. It's not, we have multiple layers of person, music, hands, mallets, instrument. Like that's too much separation yeah it's too many degrees of separation so we need to be able to connect with the instrument um yeah i a couple thoughts that just kind of come to mind like the term guided improvisation sounds sort of at first it sounds like sort of an oxymoron you know like jumbo shrimp or something like guided improvisation like like improvisation should just be free but but then the guided nobody's ever said that (laughs) it's cool uh like but guided, I think, totally makes sense in how you've how you've explained it. That you almost need parameters. You need, and especially maybe for a more orchestral per- musician, like okay, you can take some of these elements that you're already totally familiar with, and maybe then reorganize them and experiment with them. And it does kind of remind me. Long time ago, I was in school, Gloria. I, I went to music school. This was tw- this. twenty years ago or so. But you know, learning about. Um, uh, you know, twelve tone music, or you know, stuff that atonal music, and and the yeah, concept of that's being the most prescribed thing. Y- exactly, and it, even it, in in Bach, there's tons of improv. Oh, that I won't talk about Bach. I mean, but, in the classical, you know, in Tchaikovsky and Shostakovich, like there's a lot of interpretation there. You don't have two of the same Shostak, but in the you know the, the whole idea of like okay, you're we're breaking free of like kind of this tradition and trying to do something totally different, but yet we have these parameters to like sort of set all this up and so i think it is actually a cool idea it's like okay it can almost be overwhelming if you're just like improvise and you're like okay i don't know what to do or where to where to go or what to kind of put this together so it's almost like more limiting because you don't you don't have a direction so maybe you know guided guided improvisation to me at first it sounds like strange but like but then i'm like okay that actually makes sense like okay, you need maybe a direction to go or you need some elements to start putting putting something together and becomes less, like too much freedom becomes limiting, I guess, in a sense. I don't know. Yeah, or you. or I have no idea what I'm talking about and I just need to go back to Sally Tambourine. <laughs> no, 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 no. That makes total sense. That yeah. makes 100. And I think like as humans, we need structure. We like to have order yeah. because everything goes to entropy naturally. Yeah. So... Um, any sense of order, you know, feels good. It feels satisfying. And I think there is a, there's a point that you, you know, there's a little crest that you go over and before that you're a child and you're free and you can just do, and you're not afraid to try something and just go for it. But then you learn too much about something and you're now you're too good. And now you need to have the sense of control and the idea of going back and or just trying something just improvising is scary because it's like wait but i know this thing and this is what works and this is what doesn't work and i need to stick with that because i know what that is i know what those parameters are i have those parameters they make sense to me Um, so 
the way out of that is by using those parameters to help you be free. And yeah. it certainly helped me. And it wasn't like a clear linear trajectory, but looking back now, I can see it's like, okay, I was doing a lot of these guided improv things and it wasn't easy at first. You had to prepare a lot and you had to really like be in a, set yourself up for success. You know, I, I didn't want to go into, I couldn't just go and read a piece and that just be like, I had to practice all of the, if I'm playing the box piece, you know, where you're going from one box to the other, I had to practice all those transitions and really get to know the boxes. Yeah. And so that was basically like learning any other classical piece, but eventually you just start to let go of that and be comfortable with that. Yeah. Um, another, I mean, point you made earlier about just connection to your instrument um, and what I would kind of, what I want to move into is more of that kind of communication, I guess, like using, mm. using your instrument as a form of communication, which is what I think you were sort of started starting to touch on. Yeah. Um, I'm so glad you asked about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh great see i did a little research gloria i look i i mean we've had a lot i mean what i think is cool about these types of conversations is we've met several times before we've had conversations about your music and your life but i always find something new with like people that i that i talk to so um and that's why i like i mean yeah i dig a little bit more i mean i kind of go off of conversations that we've had already but I know, um, like music as communication is sort of one of your, um, uh, not a, maybe a mantra. It's, <laughs> it's your thing. It's, it is. No, yeah. it's communication through music. Yeah. Um, and it was, I mean, it didn't matter how music as communication, it doesn't matter how that's articulated. It's not the point. It was just at, there was a stage when I real like I was asking myself, what is music? What is music? What is music? What is music? Mm -hmm. And I, I couldn't answer and I had conversations with other people and they had this certain answer that I didn't agree with. And I was like, I was envious of that kind of um, like confidence or belief in, you know, this is what music is. Right. And just having that security, because I didn't have that. I kept asking myself over and over again. And yeah, I began to realize I began to realize that words are not the best form of com communication. If you yeah. think about, you know, how, even how you think, we're not thinking in words. We often think in words and we recognize that, but if you really look at how you think, like if, if anybody meditates a lot or if you just pay attention, spend a few moments, it's like you understand things without using the words to describe it. You observe things, you you know, accumulate knowledge without having a description on it. So putting it, something into words is like the tip of the iceberg. Right? Yeah, sure. And so that combined with what made music valuable to me, which it didn't matter as a performer or as an audience member. Honestly, like it's more fun as an audience member because you get to just listen and enjoy. And it was the fact that I always felt something. There was a story being told that was that could not possibly have been told in words, mm -hmm. right? Um, and even if it's oh, some people write music more like absolute music music for music's sake that's still a form of communication you're still communicating a musical message and it does regardless of how hard you try to make it not about something or not a story everyone's going to go to that concert and put themselves into it like when, whenever you put a listen to a piece of music you relate yourself to it if that music is about depression then you relate it to whenever you had hard times or whenever you were lonely if yeah. the music is about if it's Afro-Cuban Latin music, you want to dance and you put yourself into this groove of 
feeling light and wanting to dance and wanting to have rum. And so it, everyone puts themselves, well, that's what I would put into Somebody else might respond to Afro-Cuban music of, I hate this, it's really boring, <laughs> right. it's repetitive. Like, and that's them putting themselves into yeah. it. That's you know all part of the communication. Now we're going to hear from Anthony DiBartolo, and this is right after the release of his latest EP, Whimsical by Nature, which includes a lot of pre-composed and improvised music with an ambient experimental twist. Anthony talks about some of his structuring concepts and partnerships, including a book of 10 improvisation etudes he's released and a collaboration with Gloria Yahalevsky. Of course, we'll have links for all this in our show notes. So then after Rowan, you went to Ithaca, is that right? I did, yeah. yeah. And so I studied with Gordon Stout there, and um, that was just like a life-changing experience for sure. me. You know, like, uh, and you know, Gordon is still like a good friend and a mentor to me. Yeah. And uh, you know, the best part about being there uh, with Gordon was that he just makes everything look so easy. Sure. And also makes everything just, you know, like seem like it's possible. And so that's actually what also honed my my composition skills there. You know, I actually started composing at Rowan okay. and um, uh, I wrote uh, my first concert piece there, which is Music for Five Marimbas. And um, that piece, uh, we, you know, premiered it there. And then uh, when I got to Ithaca, Gordon just like kept encouraging me to compose more. Um, and I also honed my free improvisation skills actually there because, um, you know, the story that I always remember, I know I'm backtracking a little bit, was from no. Rowan. Um, when I first got really into free improv was when um, I used to go into this side practice room at night and it would be like me and then maybe one or two guitar players, a bass player, like maybe a, a horn player or something. And we would just like shut the lights out yeah. and just like go nuts. And it was like most of the time I played drum set, yeah. But sometimes I'd wheel marimba in there. I'd play like just found objects, or and you know, and we just were like I was just there at a time. I don't even know that that happens now, unfortunately. But like I was just there at a time where there was a lot of people into just exploratory music. Sure. And so it was it was just like an, a really cool um, eye opening time. And so I got into free improv while we were while I was at Rowan, and then at Ithaca. You know, I was honing my composition skills with Gordon, and then he also, um, you know, was super supportive of my free improv. And then my first recital there, uh, my grad recital, um, I had a program of four or five pieces, and I, I said, Gordon, you know, I, I think I want to just improvise transitional material through it. And he said, go for it. So yeah. I ended up doing like a 50 minute nonstop program where I like seamlessly, you know, had like a, a set piece that was composed and then I improvised transitional material into the next one and that. Huh. And people like went nuts over it. So I was like, it was the first time where I was like, oh my God, people actually kind of like to hear me improvise. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I thought yeah. I was just doing it for me. Yeah. Uh, so the improvisations and... I mean, this is all stuff that I wanted to get into. So I guess oh, no time like the present here. So, yeah. so the improvisation at that time through at Ithaca, going from like like uh, programmed piece to programmed piece, would you like? How did you approach that? You were taking kind of elements from the piece that you just ended, and then kind of transitioning to elements from the piece you were about to play, or like how did so you that... sort of approach that that improv? Yeah. 
Um, that was part of it. Um, I would take themes, but I also like by the end of the program, I actually kind of was even using themes from earlier on. Oh, and sure. Kind of like I made like a whirlwind of of uh, you know kind of. I guess uh, concepts from all the pieces that I played and kind of strung it together. Yeah. Um, so I I was having a conversation with Gloria Yehalevsky like a week or so ago, and yeah. she's part of her kind of philosophy is also improvisation, and and she talked a little bit about kind of I know it seems counterintuitive, but the structure of improvisation. Like, do you kind of have a have a a philosophy or a, a mindset that when you're going into to an improvisation session like how you're going to approach it or do you give yourself parameters or structure like can you just talk a little bit i guess about how you approach improvisation absolutely yeah um yeah well and in fact um i uh i recently released a book of exactly that okay. so it's uh 10 basically structures um that that i recommend to you know start improvising and so it's called improvisation etudes okay. volume one um, and I worked on it for, you know, about, I guess four, four or five years. It was kind of a slow burn, you know, right. to get to it. And where it came out of actually was that I, it didn't really, I didn't do much with it, unfortunately, but, um, it, I guess four or five years ago, I, I started, you know, kind of like putting ideas down in a blog and I was calling it just hashtag improvise. Like was the that was the hashtag for it. Right. Um, I, but the cool thing about it was that I got my ideas out there, and then I started calling up people um, that I wanted to play with. And you know, some people I hadn't met before that I never played with. Some people I played with for years, mm -hmm. and um, you know, we just improvised together, and I recorded them. And you know, they're they're you know still out there, which is kind of cool. Right. And what we did. Um, was I had these cards and you can actually download them on my website um, under sheet music they're free sure. and so they're just little structure cards so it could be like you know if you're uh, playing pitched instruments or if you're with other instrumentalists it, it uh, might say set a key or it might say pick three notes yeah. or set a time limit um, groove based song like and then you put a bunch of them in a, in a hat or I normally use this big tomato can, you know, I'm Italian, so <laughs> right. I have those laying around. Sure. And so I, I you know, I put a, pull them out of the can and if, as long as they apply, you, you leave them there and then you just go for it. And that okay. was like how it kind of started. And that's how I've, you know, when I go do improv clinics, um, that's like what I do every time is like we do big improvisations with these cards and you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. Sure. And so that's a process you sort of developed or is that something you picked up uh, in your education or or exploration? I, I mean, I, I definitely didn't make it up. Um, you know, yeah. I got I got the idea from like this. I guess it, it's not really the ideas for the structure, but I got the idea to explore like how to teach somebody how to improvise um, from Bill Kahn's book. Oh, okay. Um, you know, the that whole creative music making process that he has and his he has no limitations. It's just yeah. basically you start playing and then you stop playing. Right. And it's a whole process of recording it and talking about it. Um and he was really gracious actually. You know, he 
checked out my my book and we were in conversations like a lot bef- right before I released it back in March. Um, so I shout out to Bill Khan right. for that. And um, but yeah, so it, it was like you know definitely different from his mindset of just you know going for it. Mine's a little bit more structured. Yeah. But I wanted to kind of encourage people to use it in their practice because that's how I started out using it besides like playing in that dark practice room with a bunch of people and just going nuts like I also would you know when I remember the first time like learning Porgy and Bess and I'm like pulling my hair out you know with some of the lines and then I just started improvising around um, like what I always like to call them zones right and they're like really Porgy the first few measures is based off of six notes so it's really not as you know uh, complex as we like as percussionists like think about it I mean it is and it isn't you know it's right. like you have to just you know get comfortable with these zones and then master those so right. it's not just about practicing it for me at least it didn't work just to practice something over and over again the same way um, and it, it really helped me internalize you know what I was playing so so using instrumentation or improvisation as a tool to become more comfortable with content or uh, pieces that might be more technically challenging, you found that to be pretty helpful. Definitely, yeah. yeah. And I play a lot of you know contemporary music, and um, I f- will probably get into that later. But you know, right. like playing that music, sometimes I spend a whole practice session on you know one measure or two measures <laughs> right. because it's just you know it's that you know technically or just mentally challenging. And so I use improvisation you know a lot. Uh, to to learn music and again yeah. internalize it so that it goes beyond just you know on the page. Yeah, no, I think that's, uh, I I think it's a great point because I, well, two things like Bill's philosophy, uh, if I understand, like kind of limitless uh, improvisation, almost like what I talked to Gloria about it. You know, we kind of agreed that that could actually be a little limiting because if you you don't have any limits, there's like there's no boundaries really. So it's like you almost get overwhelmed on on which direction to go or are kind of you know what thought you want to musically get out. Um, and shoot, my other point. I forgot my other point. But that was a really good point, <laughs> Anthony. Yeah. Uh, no, no, that was and, – and actually that just made me think of something too. Um, like when you said it was limiting, you know, I, I actually yeah. also think of like my pieces, for instance, as like they are my pieces. So it's not yeah. 100%, you know, original for the or, – or not – I shouldn't say original. It's not 100% um, – the the players it's like mine you know what i mean it still sounds like me in a sense and so what i have encouraged anyone who who has checked out the book is you know i hope that they use these to explore kind of you know their voice within you know those limitations that i've provided but then also i mean hopefully they start making their own improv etudes or they make their own improvisation material so it's not like a be all end all and I think that's the beautiful thing and like even Gloria and I we collaborated on a video um, last week and kind of did a similar thing where we mashed like our two you know ways that we improvise together and I think that's the best part about it is like we can you know explore this free space in our own way Today's episode is brought to you by Primephonic, the streaming service designed for classical music. Primephonic is here to save classical music for the streaming era. The app features high-res audio, 
radio on demand, curated playlists, and podcasts with famous artists. Times are tough these days, but Prime Phonic pays classical musicians in a fair way, paying per second and not per track. This is a huge deal compared to the other services that only pay artists per song. The app features a massive catalog featuring some of our favorites here at the shop, like John Cage, Steve Reich, Evelyn Glennie, and Ivan Trevino. For a limited time, Black Swamp podcast listeners are getting two months free of Prime Phonic with the exclusive promo code BLACKSWAMP. Visit the link in the show notes, enter the promo code, and you're good to go. Again, that promo code is BLACKSWAMP, all caps and all one word. Prime Phonic, the streaming service designed for classical music. Next, I have a fun conversation with Andrew Baldwin and step a bit outside the orchestral percussion improvisation vein. Besides being a percussionist, drum set player, and composer, Andrew is also involved in the Second City School of Comedy, which we connect to his musical activities and performance, specifically having some tools in your improvisational toolbox as starting points. We jump into this conversation right after Andrew explains his work with Second City, and of course, you can scroll back through our episodes to find the full conversation. Yeah, it's super cool. I mean, um, do so? Do you? Is there anything that carries over to kind of music performance? Um, any any philosophies or concepts, or just being on stage or performance in general? Like, or everything. again, am I stretching here? No, everything. <laughs> yeah. Everything ties over, especially because I'm, you know, into jazz and into jazz improv, and I like yeah, I sure. like free improv a lot, or I just love improv of any kind. So they right. they are 100%. If you're talking about music improv and then acting or comedic improv, the parallels are like spot on. But well, as yeah, far cool. as you know, like you're saying, performance just getting up in front of people and doing things or doing things out of your comfort zone. How many classical musicians, I'll never jazz or free improv because that's out of my comfort zone. So you do something like this and it helps. um, It helps give you different perspectives on things. keeps you sharp witted, you know, because you're trying to trying to say something that's not completely ridiculous, but you know, and also like being organic because you can really tell if someone tries to shoehorn a, a line in that they think is funny and then <laughs> right. you know they're working a little too hard yeah, yeah and you know it takes away what it does you know it takes away from the ensemble that's happening you're trying to make it about you sure. you're trying to show that you're funny whereas realistically the similarities in w- what should be the similarities in performance when you're in an improv group or an ensemble is it's about the ensemble and i quote drumline the movie so much even though i i personally do not like oh that's too bad drumline Uh, i mean don't get me wrong i like the movie i don't much it's an art form in and of itself but you know it's not not my cup of tea but you know it's like if one of us looks or sound bad you, you all look and sound bad so right right um Sort of the the weakest link link concept. Exactly, you know. Uh, as f- but bringing it back to the similarities between improv, musical, and non musical is you're taught to listen 
right? You're taught to enhance the other people in the group and you're taught that they have sure. your back. So that's all, you know, taking jazz improv classes. That's that's the thing. You don't want to step on someone else's toes. You don't want right. to say too much. You don't want to give too much away. If you just keep rambling and rambling, then it loses its punch and no one cares what you're doing. So they're perfectly right. the same. Like I've I teach at a band camp at Whitewater every summer and they I do jazz things there. I teach jazz improv and direct the jazz band. And this, obviously not this past year because of the virus, but um, two years prior, I most of the exercises I did with my improv kids were acting improv exercises. You know, because there's this one exercise where, and you know, it works better with a small group of 10 versus... 40 to 50 middle schoolers but right. there's this exercise where you all spread out and then one person has to like you just freely moves around but then you have to pass off the ability to move you know by making direct eye contact and non-verbally you have to you know signal to someone it's your turn to go and then, okay. but you know, so you're teaching, and in jazz, that's you know all the nonverbals we use to be like, all right, like solo, we're we're trading fours. Right. Then there's an, uh, then there's variations on that exercise, and one is taking the focus, you know, because sometimes someone will keep going, and and you say I have to rein it in, and it's that same right. exact exercise, except anyone can only one person can be moving at a time. But you don't know who's going to start doing it and who's going to start doing it when. So then if you're the person moving, that means you're hyper vigilant. You know, you're on on your toes. Who's going to move? Because the second someone else starts moving, you have to stop. So that's just teaching you to be hyper aware of your surroundings, which, you know. Yeah. So I it's good anyways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it <laughs> helps you become a better jazzer and just a better human in general. Yeah. Um, well, so I've had, you know, on the podcast, I, uh, conversations with Gloria Yehalevsky, mm-hmm. who, well, she was recently in, in Chicago. Um, and then just the last episode with Anthony DiBartolo, who are, both of them are very into improvisation and what I would consider more of, uh, well, I don't want to say legit, but kind of orchestral improvisation or like electric, you know, Anthony is really into electronics and looping and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But also improvisation, so it's cool to hear, like your perspective as more of a, uh, uh, a, well, as a jazz musician, like talking about improvisation from a, a jazz perspective, and and kind of that that interaction with with people and when to not step on people's toes or when you know when to shift focus or not have something be all about yourself. Um, I mean, my my. Uh, only interaction with improvisation was with when I, I did a lot of steel band gigs. So we'd be a small combo. So I, I'm, you know, typically played double seconds. Then there was a lead player and, and then usually sometimes a guitar player, um, that would solo, you know, in our quintet or whatever. So, you know, we, you know, one question I had for you is what are kind of the rules of engagement if there are any, but like, you know, (laughs) we would talk, you know, murmur before we start, okay, I'm going to take two solos and you take two solos or we'll just go around or do this. Like, so we kind of figured it out, but we were so used to playing with each other. We could kind of, we knew what the other person was doing and, 
actually they, sometimes they would give me a hard time because they knew exactly, you know, when I was about to take a solo, they knew exactly what I was going to play. Every song, you know, <laughs> solo and each song kind of started the exact same way. And then I kind of went from there. Are those, do you kind of see those, you know, when you're working with kids, like, are there kind of rules of engagement one? And then two, are, are there maybe a, uh, like a, some advice, like to not, not do you know i would get stuck basically on the same lick the same little run mm-hmm. or the same this and then just kind of play it in every solo that i played or that's how everything started like is there you know kind of something you would you know suggest to a young player or performer like hey this is a good exercise to to kind of get out of that rut so i sort of wrapped yeah, two questions yeah no, i'm one trying there. to <laughs> i was going to i was going to answer it in a very non <laughs> like cohesive way so i'm gonna st- I'm, oh, right. i said that i'm still gonna do what i said i didn't want to do uh it's right. like two trains of thought that a lot of people talk about right are learn licks that you like from other people and then sure. you know try and fit them in different places blah 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 then you have people that say don't learn other people's licks that's then you just right. those are other people's things and then you just you're not thinking of your own ideas. I personally think that you there's nothing wrong with learning other people's ideas because you know that yeah. at some point that's all you're doing whenever you start something new is learning someone else's ideas. And then you yeah. can take things you like and um change it up a little or take that lick and I'm kind of thinking on percussion specifically uh drum i'm thinking drum set right now but you can apply it to melodic instruments you know take a lick and if it fits over the chords you know uh try putting where that you know if it ends on the one of the next beat have it end on the and of one or have it land on the two and you can feel the different stresses and then you can maybe hear oh well if it ends here i would like this to go before it um, mm-hmm. you know, and then practicing your licks in all the keys, that usual thing. <laughs> I, I hate, I hated Jeez. that. I hated that yeah. so much. Yeah. And that's not well, when I, what, when I was in grad school, I did take like a summer semester, um, of jazz improv, like on vibraphone. And it was the saxophone professor that I studied from and he, we had to transcribe. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was learning, you know, I transcribed some, I was, I took it easy on myself, like Chet Baker, solos like trumpet (laughs) solos uh which i mean i just love chet baker anyways um but and his solos were like really musical but kind of simple so i'm like oh yeah i think i can you know maybe transcribe that and then well then okay now i gotta learn this lick in every key or whatever like oh great now i gotta know all my i gotta remember all right all my i did all my scales and everything so when i was learning theory and stuff i was Again, not to brag, but I was really I was really good at theory, but I say that to say I learned like all of my ear training was on numbers, you know. So I did, okay. like I'm actually very 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 bad at solfege, but I'm very good at I say that to say that my numbers really transferred to, you know, chord alterations and things. So when I think of a melody, it's easier for me because that's how my mind has worked forever to see the melody in its you know 
uh, scale numbers. So then that's easier sure. to transfer when you're doing the transpositions. But I, that's another good thing is listening to other, transcribing other instrument solos. So if you, well, with vibraphone, right? You listen to right. you listen to anybody, and it's just trying to make like weird stick crossings work. But that's important because then, you know, right. if you, I was thinking Mark Juliana, um, because we have this nice drum store. It's actually in my neighborhood of Chicago, and it's called the Chicago Music Exchange. And Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, Mark Giuliano just happened to be there one day as I was walking by <laughs> doing wow. doing a clinic or something. And so I walk in, and he's talking about, similarly, where this guy was like, you know, I'm learning these licks and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, there's nothing wrong with learning licks, but the lick is, a th- whatever the lick is, it's something in your toolbox. And then right. you have to take that, and you have to do something to it not just to make it your own, but it it adds something new to your toolbox. So, you know, if you're working on some triplet groove and you notice, you know, oh, it's really hard to do this, then make an exercise out of whatever is weak, and then that will eventually, you know, you build up your dexterity, but then that becomes another thing to add to your toolbox. Finally, we talked to percussion and improvisation veteran Tony DeSanza. Tony's been working with Tom Curry and Mark Hetzler, fellow University of Wisconsin-Madison colleagues, having released a CD last fall titled Don't Look Down. This is a super interesting mix of tuba, trombone, and percussion, which includes electronics, sequencing, processing, and, of course, improvisation, all very unexpected and unique. Similar to the conversation I just had with Andrew, Tony and I talk about creativity, borrowing ideas and making them your own, and challenging yourself to try something different, even if it makes you uncomfortable, which it often does for me. For me, improvisation, I remember going back to high school, sitting in a dark practice room in a music facility (laughs) and just playing piano. Yeah, and right. not really realizing what I was doing, but just enjoying the sonorities and the creation of music spontaneously. Yeah, sure. Um, and then in undergrad school, I had a band, we had a band together called the Outboard Motors, and it was a free <laughs> it was funny. a free improv bar band. Okay. So we'd play four hour gigs of yes. complete improvisation, typical wow. band sort of guitar, bass, keyboards, yeah. couple percussionists. So for me, the improvisation has always been a, a a big part of my life and something I really enjoy doing. Yeah. Cool. Um, and when I left graduate states, when I left Ann Arbor to go to Kansas, um, there was no one really around, and I'm not a jazz improviser. So, you know, I don't, I don't have that outlet. So my right. improvisation is more on the free side. Yeah. Um, that then it was like 10 years, I didn't really get to improvise much with other people because when I was in Kansas, there was, I just didn't, couldn't find a relationship with somebody to do that sort of playing with. Right. And, and even initially moving to Madison, when I was first playing a lot of global music, we'd improvise, but it was always, you know, sort of in style, you know, right. but around rhythmic material. And then when Todd came to town, that was for me, like, Oh, we could start doing this again. And then Mark moved to town. And so enough people, uh, I found enough people around Madison to sort of reinvent that for myself. Um, for me, I think my favorite, I think this goes to me is the, what is my favorite thing about being a percussionist is the same, the same answer to the thing about improvisation yeah. is that I love playing in an orchestra. I love playing contemporary chamber music. I love playing global music. Um, I, I, I love playing Brazilian music in a bar. 
I love freely improvising and percussion affords us, you know, to do all these things. If our interest in the field is, is to do a variety of things. Of course, we have some, some great artists in our field who choose to be a little more narrow and that's amazing and great. Um, I've always taken the sort of um, uh, wide pool approach and improvisation has always just been a, has been a part of that for me. And I I think because of the nature of the instrument, it always felt really natural. So I, I guess, maybe the, that's the long answer. The short answer is I, I just, I love the idea of creating music spontaneously with other people and yeah. the challenges that creates. Yeah, cool. And, and with Todd for like the recordings uh, for the um, Music with Tube series, um, we, we, we don't talk at all. There is no conversation of, oh, you want to try this? Let's do that. We finish something, you know, we might say, hey, that kind of felt good or say, ah, oh, I didn't like that. Yeah. But we don't talk much about it. You know, when you're in the studio and we you know, got a drink of water, came back, here we go. Yeah. One of us makes a gesture and we start again. Yeah. Uh, so my only real uh, experience with improvisation is in more of a kind of a formal sense with playing in steel band and, mm-hmm. and playing, you know, taking a solo, you know, whatever, eight, 16 bars or whatever. And uh, I, one of my, in, my own inside jokes is that, you know, I would, I had a couple licks that I would fall back on, you know, when I would play, like, do you ever notice that where it's like, okay, we're going to play something and you're like, okay, that's exactly, even though it's completely free, it's completely improvised. You have the entire, whatever soundscape world at your fingertips and you kind of play the same thing that you played last time when you sat down, like, does that ever happen? And then how do you yes. kind of push yourself out of it? Uh, it certainly happens to me. And I sometimes yeah. find it happens when I'm choosing instruments. Oh yeah. Uh, cool. Like there's some instruments and tubes and more that I used a bunch in don't look down. And, and I realized, Oh my gosh. You know, <laughs> it, you know um, so I, I think one of the ways that I, that I try to sort of push my way out of that is, is by choosing you know, making sure I'm, you know, by the instrument choices. Yeah, sure. It's like, okay, if I, if I fall back on this instrument regularly, and every time I have it in my hands, I tend to play this. Yeah. How about if I get rid of that instrument? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and I will say also, Tim, that sometimes I, I, I'll, I look at that sort of, those fallbacks as not necessarily a bad thing too. Sure. That some of that is my repertoire. Yeah. Those are my, my repertoire of ideas. And in reality, I'm not sure how much in our world is new any longer in any field. Yeah. You know, we've, we've been around long enough. We've explored enough. We've, we shared enough yeah. um, that I, I don't mind having some things that are sort of, Oh yeah, that's Tony. Cause yeah. I've heard him play that. I certainly want to avoid the, the, the bag of tricks and here's the bag and, and yeah, this yeah. Is the lick that always comes out after this one. So yeah, I totally, <laughs> I know exactly yeah. of what you speak and I totally yeah. find myself having to work against that. Well, I mean, and that's where, what I would fall into because that, and I, I could feel it on the inside, but then I really knew what was happening when the, we, you know, we'd play in a combo and the guitar player, we got done with a piece and he's, or we were about to start a piece, I think. And the guitar player was like, oh, I can't wait to hear Tim's lick when he's, you know, the same lick he plays on this piece. I can't wait for him to play that when we get to the solo. And that, which I guess was a, it was a compliment in a sense, but I was like, oh, wow, it's that predictable. But, um, but I took, just moving back a bit, like as far as, you know, there's nothing new under the, the sun. I mean, I, I totally get what you're saying that, and then, 
kind of having your repertoire, I think is an interesting way to, way to look at it. Like, you know, it may be an improvisatory setting, but you kind of have your, your tools, I guess, in the, in your toolkit um, and something to kind of build or work off of. So, yeah, um, I'm not even, I'm not even fully convinced any longer after all these years in the last year, have I played anything that was absolutely made me go, wow, I'd never thought of that before. Yeah, sure. And, uh, you know, we keep searching for those and, and hopefully I'll keep finding them. But okay. you know, again, yeah, like it's, you're, you're right, it's hard. Be, and they're, they're, we do develop a bag. Yeah, but yeah. I, I think, yeah, anyway. Yeah, that's cool. Well, I hope you enjoyed this deep dive into the topic of improvisation. Maybe in the future, we can explore some other topics that have popped up in past episodes the last year or so. Otherwise, this has been a BSP production, recorded and produced out of the Black Swamp Percussion Facilities in Zeeland, Michigan. Audio and production assistance by Nathan Coles. Intro and outro music by Adam Hopper. Music sprinkled throughout the episode featured compositions and performances by our best of guests, Gloria, Anthony, Andrew, and Tony. Visit this episode's show notes for links to their content and activities.